Our scripture for today is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm a big fan of the Marvel movies, and I go back and forth on which one's my favorite. Um, But I think it's either between Guardians of the Galaxy or uh, the Black Panther. Now, I'm not going to try to do a synopsis of the entirety of The Black Panther, but it's a great film. Uh, Yes, it's an action movie, lots of big action sequences, but at its heart, it's a movie about power and and what to do with power. Um, Specifically, it's about how to be a good king. Now, it has two separate characters in this movie that are both kind of vying for the throne. They both want to be king of the kingdom of Wakanda. On the one hand, you have a character named Eric, whose nickname is the Killmonger. Uh, Obviously, he's the bad guy. And uh, his idea of power is you get power, you hold power, and you use it to control. He wants power so he can control other people. He's faced a world that seems out of control, because a lot of times it is, and he wants power so he can control the chaotic world. He wants to lord it over people. On the other hand, you have T'Challa, who's the Black Panther. And his idea of power is power is meant not to be held and used to control others, but that power is meant to be used for the benefit of other people. Power is meant to be used to help set people free and to enable them uh, to live their lives in freedom. And so he has an idea of power as a resource, as a tool, to be used in in terms of uh, the Christian world, love of other people. You know, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, if you read through it, it's very different than Black Panther. (laughs) But that theme, that idea of what it means to have power and use it well, this is a thread that runs through the Gospel of Matthew, and it talks a lot about king, the kingdom of God, um, and, and the king of that kingdom, Jesus Christ. And in Matthew, um, it focuses in on the arrival of this king. 
And the first couple chapters is focusing on his birth, but the arrival of this king and what that means for the world, this different kind of king, this different kind of kingdom that has arrived, and all the reactions to the kingdoms of the kingdoms of this world, of the, the, the leaders and the powers of this world against the kingdom of God. Now in chapter 2, which we're in today, it focuses in, uh, it kind of zooms out in a sense. In the first chapter of Matthew's gospel, we've seen the family tree of Jesus. We've seen the announcement of Jesus' arrival to Joseph, the husband of Mary, Jesus' mother. And in chapter 2, uh, the, the, the arrival of this new king kind of goes global in a sense, goes public for the first time. And some unexpected things happen. Now, to help our, get our minds around this passage, I've broken it, broken it up into a couple different sections. And the first one is this, an unexpected arrival. An unexpected arrival. Now, our passage begins with a, a bit of truly an embarrassing scene. This envoy of foreign dignitaries, the Magi from the east, they show up in Jerusalem, the capital city of Judea, the, the, the place where uh, Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. And they arrive on the scene and they're received by the king at the time, King Herod, Herod the Great, there in Jerusalem. And he's surprised at their arrival. He has no idea why they would be there. And they show up and they say this. They are there to see, quote, the one who has been born the king of the Jews. They're excited. They've seen a star in the night sky. They've followed that star and they've seen it as a sign. A new king is here. Except for here's the embarrassment. King Herod has no idea what they're talking about. He hasn't had a son recently. And so he, as king, he hears that they are there to celebrate the arrival of a new king. And uh, it's a bit of fear that grips his heart. Now, but before we talk a little bit more about Herod's reaction, let's talk about these foreign dignitaries. Who are they? Um, in Christmas carols, we tend to talk about three kings. We three kings, or we talk about the wise men. And we have all kinds of legends and stories that have built up around them. Certain traditions have tried to give them names. Um, and, you know, we have manger scenes where it's the wise men. Uh, they're literally there at the stable the night that Jesus is born. Um, and we actually kind of sang about that a, a moment ago in O Holy Night. Um, so let's do a little bit of clarifying um, about who these folks were. Um, we meet them in the first verse here in chapter 2 as the Magi from the East. Now what is a Magi? Um, if, if I said Magi in the ancient world, you would know immediately what I was talking about. It's like when I say doctor. In our world, I say doctor, it means medical doctor or maybe a dentist. They're, they're credentialed, they're studied, and they focus in on, on medical things, right? Well, Magi were kind of like this combination of uh, astronomers and scientists and philosophers. It was like this combo. Think of, uh, in modern terms, think of a combination of Neil deGrasse Tyson and, and Yoda from Star Wars. So these Magi, to make it clear for us, they were priests. They were priests um, that had begun their time in the Persian Empire, uh, modern-day Iran. Um, and they were priests who weren't just from a different region than Jesus. They weren't just from a different region from Jerusalem. They were from a different religion altogether, a religion that really focused in on the stars. They would study the constellations in the night sky. And what they've seen, looking at the stars that they know so well, they've noticed a star that they did not expect. And for them, that was a remarkable sign that something had incredible had happened. In their time, in the ancient world across the world, 
stars or comets in the sky, they were usually seen as signs that something big had happened. For instance, when Julius Caesar passed away, there was a comet in the sky, and the Roman world interpreted that as the gods were, in a sense, applauding Julius Caesar. His soul was arising to them, and they were applauding the work that he had done on earth and even receiving him as a god. And the star, the comet, was a sign of that. And so these magi, as they've looked up in the night sky recently, they've noticed this incredible star, and they've done their calculations, and it's pointed them to Jerusalem. It's pointed them, uh, for them, west, to tell them that a new king has been born. It's got to mean that a new king has arrived, but not just a new king. They seem to have insight that King Herod does not. They seem to have insight that God has given them by His grace, um, insight that God has done something remarkable, that in this new king, God, in a sense, is arriving to our world. Um, And that leads us to our second section. We'll talk a little more about Herod here, an unexpected response. And so this envoy is arrived, and King Herod hears them say, a new king has been born. Now, a little bit of historical context before we get up to Herod. For the last 600 years, the Jewish kingdom has uh, not been under its own rulership. About 600 years before, the Babylonians overthrew it. And since then, they've been been subjects to a a bunch of successive empires. It was the Babylonians, and then it was the, the Persians, and then the Macedonians, and at the time of our passage, it's the Romans. And Herod, he had been installed as king over the kingdom of Judah, or Judea, um, as a kind of puppet king of the Romans. And as a king, he was big into building projects. He had restored the temple. He had uh, extended the temple mount. He had uh, fixed the walls of Jerusalem, done a bunch of building projects. And as a king, he also had an extremely strong tendency to react violently against threats to his power. In fact, when he had become king, when the Romans had installed him there, he actually had members of his family assassinated because he thought that they would be threats to his power. And so he always battled accusations that he was an imposter. He wasn't a descendant of King David. His family had converted to Judaism. Uh, They were Edomites uh, by background. And so he was always accused of or seen suspiciously, accused of being a fraud, an imposter. So he was incredibly, incredibly sensitive to threats to his power. So imagine the foreign envoy comes in there looking for the new king and the King Herod, who had, uh, uh, had spent a lifetime suspicious of those around him. Fear strikes his heart. It's another threat to his power. Now notice in the passage how Herod is characterized. It's like he really doesn't know anything. Everything is lost to him. He's blind to what's going on. The envoy arrives, and they say that a new king is being born, and Herod knows enough to think that this is the Messiah, of a sense, the long-promised king that was to come, but he has no idea uh, where the king, where the Messiah should be born. So he has to call his religious leaders together, and he says, well, where is this going to happen? And they say, What? Bethlehem. That's five and a half miles from Jerusalem. Just south of Jerusalem, five and a half miles, is the town of Bethlehem. So Herod doesn't know that. and and Then he had to call the Magi back together because he had to ask them when the star appeared. Because apparently he had not noticed this incredibly remarkable celestial event in the night sky. The Magi from far away had noticed. 
But King Herod was blind to what was going on. Now, we might have expected Herod, who religiously was Jewish, he had converted to Judaism, we might expect him to hear the news of the long-promised Messiah arriving. And even though he had a history of suspicion, he would hear this news with joy because here was God's Messiah. Um, But he did not see the arrival of Jesus as good news. He only saw Jesus as a threat. He only saw Jesus as a threat to his power. Now we'll get to more of that that next week um, when we look at our next passage in Matthew 2. Um, But that's Herod's unexpected response. We might expect joy, but it's definitely not joy. It's suspicion. It's confusion. And that brings us to our third section, an unexpected true king. The unexpected true king. And so the Magi continue on. They leave Jerusalem and they head uh, south to Bethlehem, five and a half miles away to the dusty suburb of the town of Bethlehem. And they arrive at the house where Jesus' family was staying. Now, as as an aside, they didn't arrive to the stable on the night that he was born. It appears that that Joseph and Mary and and the baby Jesus had had found a place to stay at that point, and for whatever reason, they were staying in Bethlehem a little longer, Um, and the the Magi arrived sometime after Jesus was born, maybe up to even two years later. Um, But notice, now the Magi, they don't arrive to the capital city of Jerusalem, the bustling urban center. They don't arrive to the great palace of the king. Um, They arrive to a house. And what they find in this very ordinary house in the town of Bethlehem is a woman, a young woman, and her child. Here is the true king. Here is the true king that they've been looking for. Not wrapped in royal robes. The true king, not surrounded by attendants, but a toddler born into poverty. But these magi know, even though I'm sure it seemed odd to them, that it didn't look like what they were expecting to find when they set out to find the new king. They know that they found the true king, and so they shower him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these were incredibly expensive gifts. These would have been far beyond the, uh, the, the uh, monetary ability of Mary and Joseph to obtain gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Frankincense was a type of perfume. Myrrh was a type of ointment. Um, and gold it was gold. Um, And like I said, the Magi didn't find what they were expecting. And I can't help but imagine that they were a bit disappointed. I'm sure on their travels to Jerusalem, they were expecting to arrive to a city that was already filled with joy because a new king had been born. Um, But they didn't allow their surprise or even their disappointment to halt them from recognizing this true king and worshiping. The place of that worship, of course, looked different than what they expected. And maybe the object of that worship, this <laughs> toddler in poverty, looked different than what they were expecting. But they knew through God's grace and revealing it to them that God was doing something utterly remarkable and, and uh, something he had never done before. God was arriving in his grace to be with his people. What was he doing? You know, I can't help but wonder why Jesus didn't arrive in a palace. Why wasn't he born to a royal family in all its grandeur? 
Why wasn't he celebrated uh, by <laughs> the entirety of the kingdom on the night of his birth? Well, the reason why is because God wasn't just arriving to establish a kingdom like every other kingdom. He wasn't just setting up a place for him to rule and to win a bunch of praise. He wasn't just winning power, in a sense, to control other people. Him establishing his kingdom starts with a rescue mission. And in Jesus, God goes to all the places of our pain. He goes in his experience. He goes to the places of our humiliation, all the places of our sin, all the places that hold us bound. He doesn't avoid the worst of our world. He goes straight to it and into it. And so, in his earthly life, he takes on poverty and he experiences it. He takes on abuse and scorn and rejection and betrayal. He takes on our pain. He takes on, even in his cross, our rebellion and our sin. He faces every bit of it, and he becomes like us in every way, not only so he can identify with us. He takes it all on his shoulders so he can bear the weight of it for us, because he knows we can't. We cannot bear the weight of our sin. We cannot bear the weight of the pain of our world, but he knows that he can. He can bear it and bring it to an end and defeat it for us. And so in him, our punishment for sin, the true sins that we've done, the punishment that we deserve is extinguished. The wrath of God against our sin is satisfied. In him, our suffering and our poverty is overcome and we can take heart that those are not the final words about us, no matter the circumstances that we've experienced. He shows us that these are not the source of our identity. He frees us from the identities that we take onto our shoulders that can never satisfy, and he brings us into God's family as adopted daughters and sons. This is the essence of what the kingdom of God is, God's reign, his use of power for our benefit and for our good. That's why we celebrate at Christmas. That's why we sing. That's why we focus in on the birth of this baby, this the birth of this Messiah, this new king, because this glorious kingdom is one that is full of grace for us. And in conclusion, a few thoughts. As I said at the beginning, the Gospel of Matthew as a whole is about the arrival of a different kind of king and a different kind of kingdom, the kingdom of God over which Jesus as king rules. But it's not just a comparison chart. We don't read through Matthew and we say, here's Jesus' kingdom and here's the other kingdoms. It's not a pro-con list or anything like that. It becomes almost a war of sorts. And as Jesus faces the effects of sin in this world, it's like battles happening. And it's not the kind of war we think of. It's not Jesus wielding a sword, but it's actually a deeper battle. It goes even to the spiritual realities of our world, even to the depths of our own hearts. And for us this morning, this is the battle. The question is whether we're going to be more like Herod or we're going to be more like the Magi. The warning of this passage is that we have an inclination and a tendency to look at Jesus like Herod did, almost as a threat. Now, Herod was comfortable. He had gotten the things he wanted. He, he was established with notoriety and power. And so when Jesus arrives, Jesus, literally God becoming a human being, 
the embodied grace of God for humanity. When Jesus arrives just right down the street, uh, Herod completely misses it. He completely misses what God is doing. And when it's finally brought to his attention here in this passage, he responds with confusion, self-protection. And as we'll see in our passage next week, he even responds with extreme violence. He misses and then rebels against what God is doing in Jesus Christ. How often is that true of our own hearts? Now, we aren't kings and queens this morning, but it's easy for us, I think, to get a few things in this world. It's easy to, for us to arrange the stuff the way we like it, to make the friends we want, and to kind of get established and comfortable. And then to, maybe not even mean to, close ourselves off to everything that God may be doing in our community, everything may, God may be doing in relationships in this world. Now, I think that's been true, not just of us, but of Christians throughout the ages, especially when it comes to ideas of political power. Think about it. We've seen it in our own lifetimes, in our own (laughs) world in the last few years. Christians gain a little bit of political power. Christians get a little bit of respectability, and they get a little bit of the comfort and the safety that comes with power. And we can easily close our eyes to the needs of those around us. We can easily be wooed or tempted to trade in our calling to love God and to love others in exchange for for talking points that are dictated to us from political radio or politicians. We trade in, in a sense, the kingdom of God for the kingdoms of this world. And the good news for us this morning is we have an opportunity to see that for what it is, the way of Herod. We can see that and we can turn away from it. We have a gracious opportunity right now to lean in on not being Herod. We can rather take cues from the Magi. As I said, I'm sure the destination they were expecting at the end of their trip looked nothing like what they actually saw when they, when they met Jesus. Um, the new king <laughs> was not uh, draped in uh, royal robes the way they probably expected. Imagine this new uh, big envoy with these expensive gifts. They arrive into Bethlehem, this small town, and they're cramped into this house with a woman and her baby. No grand artwork on the walls, no you know palace guard guarding around, just a woman and her baby. Yet, yeah, even though the things surrounding this new king look differently than uh, what they expected, even though the king himself looked differently, they knew that they had found the king that God had given. They knew, in almost a paradoxical way, that they had found God's unexpected and unbelievable grace in this child. They had found the grace, that not the grace they would have given themselves, but they found the grace they needed and the grace we need as well. So for us, the path that we take to get to Jesus may look a lot different from person to person, and it may certainly look a lot different than what we would think if we were crafting it out. And that's true as individuals in our own experience, our own stories. That's true as a church as well. Think of the last year. We're a new church. (laughs) And I'm sure if you went back even just a year ago and asked us what we thought our worship of our great King Jesus would look like, we wouldn't say, um, you know, gathered around a screen at home. Or we wouldn't say, in the front yard of of my house. Um, But even though 
The circumstances may look different than what we would have expected. Let's not allow the unexpected turns and the unexpected uh, surroundings to distract us from the profound, life-changing love of God and Jesus Christ. Let's open our eyes like the Magi, not close them like Herod. Let's open our eyes like the Magi and let's see the true beauty and majesty of our King, Jesus Christ. This profoundly different kind of king who lays down his life for his people. In fact, lays down his life for us who, apart from his grace, would be his enemies. But he brings us into his kingdom so that he can care for us. So he can give us forgiveness, transformation, and hope. And he uses his power, his considerable power, not to squash us, but to set us free. And let's respond to that grace in this kingdom, and our king in worship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the kingdom of God, this kingdom that acts differently than the kingdoms of this world because our king is different. I thank you for our king, Jesus Christ, who wins us to himself, who doesn't uh, lord power over us to, to squash us or to control us or to, to, to bind us, but he sets us free so that we are now freed up to live lives of love for you and love for neighbor and even love for ourselves, because we now live in a kingdom that is defined by your love. So I pray that the reality of your kingdom would be uh, clearer and clearer to our own hearts, that you would open our eyes to the reality of the beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ. Change us to be people who think your thoughts, who love what you love and uh, follow you in mission in our community. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's respond to our incredible King by singing together.